Live from the Padawanami Studios in Idaho Falls, Idaho, I'm your host, Jared Andrus, and welcome to History on the Dark Side. From people or the students? From the students. You said, you know, okay. there's so many that it's their first experience with the Holocaust. So, What's that I mean, like? Well, one of the things, so I know I said I started with Anne Frank, and I usually do. But one of the little mini, like, one-day lesson things that we talk about is the Pyramid of Hate. And we actually listen to five different survivor stories, or we listen to their stories of their experience with the Holocaust. And we talk about the Pyramid of Hate. And we have a whole thing called the Pyramid of Hate, where things start out at, and I have it on a chart for them. And at the bottom level is uh, prejudice attitudes. So just sure. people having that attitude, and you know that they have that. The next one is acts of prejudice, where they are actually, you know, I don't want to say physically getting aggressive with people like that, but more just like, you know, putting up signs. But say, they're doing something. Yeah, Instead like of just thinking action. about it, now it's an action. Right. And so then there's active dis- discrimination, which is the next tier on the pyramid of hate, right? And so we talk about that. And then there's violence, where it's acts against people, things get violent, fights, you know, protests that become, you know, what are they? Riots. Right. And then finally genocide is where we end at. And so we listen to these stories. And honestly, the kids are usually... They're usually pretty silent, and I feel like they, again, still just have a rough time connecting with it, and, you know, they hear these stories, and sometimes when it's coming from an older person, which all these survivors are older, you know, they just can't understand. So I have a hard time with Pyramid of Hate, and kids usually categorize it pretty correctly, but they just kind of make light of it. They kind of just brush it off, for the most part. Um, I mean, I have kids that... One of the big lessons I teach, because I it hap- without a doubt it happens in the classroom where somebody makes fun of somebody else. Oh, yeah, yeah. And for once, okay, I don't want to say that. I don't take it seriously all the time. But in this unit, the second that it happens, I take it massively seriously. And I say, this is where it starts. Right. And then the kid that's making fun of him says, what are you talking about? I said, don't you remember the pyramid of hate? This is where it starts. Attitude. You saying something to him and acting on your attitude, you just moved That's up to that action. second. Yeah, you're you level just moved two. it up to that second level of acts of prejudice. So what's going to happen next? Discrimination, where you're not going to let them sit at the table with you. Yeah. What's going to happen next? Are you going to start a fight with them, or are you actually going to bring a gun to school and kill them? And so we hit that point, and kids just dead silent, and they stare at me. And I've had this happen in a few classes, and it's gotten to that extent where I've hit that point where I say, "What are you going to do? Bring a gun to school and shoot him?" And kids automatically hit that point like whoa 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 miss waters you're getting too serious you know and i've had the kids tell me that and i said this is how it starts don't you guys see what we're talking about in this unit is that it gets to that point in these levels and then that's when they start to take it more seriously is when i am able to actually hit that point and it actually ends up usually happening with anne frank because there are things in her diary that we laugh about right sure yeah and she talks about getting her period for the first time in the diary Mm -hmm. and People make jokes, and I'm sorry, boys, I'm so sorry, that they're usually the ones that get the wrath, right. okay, because they're usually the ones that start me on this path of, remember the pyramid of hate, this is how it starts. Right. You're making fun of her for having a biological a, function. A biological <laughs> function that we have no control over, right, and so then it hits that point, I said, what are you going to do, come to school and shoot her next? Are you going to shoot all the ladies, all the girls here? Are you going to shoot your mom, your sister next? Right. Like, it's... It's that easy to fall into this. And then that's when kids start to take it a little bit more seriously and kind of feel heavier about it and start taking it more to heart and realizing, like, their actions have larger consequences. And I think my 
my stepdaughter, who's almost 15, she kind of hits that point too where she goes, we're really influential in some of the things that we can choose to do. And things that we say to people can be a tipping point yeah. for them in certain situations. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to see how kids react. And it kind of, at different points in times, it hits them a little bit more seriously. But it feels like, for the most part, throughout the Holocaust, they don't make jokes about it. Do, do you get kids that come and talk to you after class? I, mean, I do a 9-11 lesson, and every year I get kids that come after class, and they're just like, thanks, Ms. Grant. You know, I had no idea. That was so powerful. Right. For similar reasons. We talk about a lot of these same things in that unit. See, and I, I don't feel like I do. And it's kind of frustrating for me because I kind of wish that would happen, that we would be able to talk about it more. And I feel like I do have kids that come and just talk to me about things uh -huh. to clarify certain things with the Holocaust or to understand it. But what ends up happening is that it's more conversations about what happened during World War II right. instead of what happened to the Jews in Holocaust. Right. And I think one of the ways that I understand that or one of the ways that I justify why they don't do that, which I don't think is right, is that it didn't pertain to America. Like, I mean, we yeah. were in the fight, don't get me wrong, but it didn't happen on our soil. It didn't happen in our home. So, like, why should they care? Versus, like, the 9-11. It happened to us. I would agree know? with that. And and that's the hard part. And I have... But even 9-11, the kids we teach, they weren't born. They weren't born. And it's weird for them to try and wrap their head around. Unless they've got an older brother or uncle or somebody who was over there fighting, they have a hard time putting two and two together on that. They do, but I think that's a sense, like the sense of camaraderie and the sense of brotherhood in yeah. patriotism and being American can kind of be like, oh, that was an attack on our soil. That doesn't happen to America. Versus, well, genocide happens in other countries all the time. Yeah. In that, and I think that that's the way that kids justify it. And honestly, I did have a kid last year that really upset me because he talked about in his essay, he goes, well, the Holocaust wasn't that bad. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. He went off. And I, I had to, in his rough draft, I highlighted it and said, you know, you are entitled to your opinion. 100%. And I said, I would just be extremely careful who you choose to express this opinion to because it's very insensitive. He did end up taking that out. But he did say, I don't think the Jews should be complaining as much. They wow. Didn't, they didn't have it that bad. And wow. I thought, what? And... This was coming from a Hispanic Latino kid. And I don't know his background that well. And, you know, I think a lot of these kids feel like they have it worse. I feel like they they believe yeah. that they have it worse than people in the Holocaust. I, I can, I've seen that too, where kids today have this, like, overreaction to every offense as though the world has ended. And you're just like, really? Like, go play outside. Eat your right. green beans. It's not the end of the world there, kid. No, life's easy right now. Right. Well, and the reason I brought that whole topic of why or what did they tell you, what did they feel? So I'm someone who got into World War II, mm -hmm. quickly found the Holocaust. You can't find one without the other. Mm -hmm. And I've been studying it my whole entire life. Mm. And it's so heavy and so dark yeah. that I've, I've woken up in the middle of the night having dreams of being in the Holocaust. Same. And then when I'm reading and researching, and I love the topic because I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to understand how do you mentally survive within that? Or on the Nazi side, how do you move from this Western enlightened democracy to that? And I'm trying to put all those things together. But there's been so many times I've had to just put it down for like four or six months. 
I won't watch a documentary. I won't read an article. I won't even think about it. Because it's just so heavy. It is. And I wonder if some of that is, you know, I'm a grown man who's studied my whole life, and I got a degree in sociology and history. Right. If I got to put it down, maybe it's just that heavy for the kids to take in all at once. And finding these little slices, like you're able to do through literature, I think that's awesome, because it gives them a way that they can touch that without it ruining them. Right. And I do know, I think that some kids... I mean, I don't want to say our school is, you know, has a bunch of kids with trauma, because I don't think that's true. But I think that all kids have a lot of yeah. different trauma, and I, and this is a traumatic time. And there's something called like uh, secondary trauma mm-hmm. that kids can be traumatized just by hearing the story, yeah, or re-traumatizing in a situation. And they get triggered, right? They get triggered, and that's and that's hard. And I do know that that happens for kids, and I think that that's also why they try to separate it so much rather than get emotional about it. And I know that that's for me too. And I, I have a hard time reading through the Holocaust one because I grew up in a situation where I felt that I was physically abused at times and traumatized. And so reading some of this stuff, I'm like, it's hard for me because I go back to my time and I have to, I have to remember to try and separate that. And as an adult, I can do that now as a kid, I could not do that at all. It was, it was extremely difficult. And actually as an adult, I had a hard time doing that not too long ago, too, because we read, well, we read The Devil's Arithmetic. I don't know if you've read it by uh, Jane Yolen. I've not read that one. It's, it's a pretty quick read, but I read it with my class last year, and I had a lot of kids that that, that is really what hit home for them. When we finished it, the whole room just went, <sighs> just a deep sigh of, holy cow, like everything had just set in, but in there, a three-year-old girl dies. And my daughter is three right now, and I had to stop reading the book. I could not, I couldn't move past it. It hit a point where I just thought, how as a parent could I deal with that? And so, again, I do think that this is just a dark, dark topic, and kids have a hard time allowing that to come into their life because, you know, you remember being a teen and having that point where they're like, how, you know, our life is so miserable right now. I can't allow any more dark things to come in, and I think as a teacher and as a parent, though, or even as a kid with my own parents, those moments where you shut down and have to just take a minute because you're overwhelmed, because it's so emotional or personal or heartfelt, I have those, not often, but occasionally as a teacher in the classroom, those moments are gold. They are. Those are absolute gold. You can't decide to create one. Right, it just it just happens. Like at the end of the Devil's Arithmetic, I had a kid that he openly said in class. He he said, "That is by far the best book I've ever read," and I just I mean it hit I it knocked the wind out of me. It hit my heart, and I just it took my breath, and I just went, "Oh my God, thank you!" <laughs> and I that's all I could really say. And he I just stared at him, and I I thought I and I I failed to ask him why. But it just hit so hard that he looked at me and we kind of looked at each other and had that moment of like, heck, you understand. Yeah. You understand. And like, I can't ask you to explain it out loud because that would ruin this moment that you and I are, you and I are having. But I think the rest of the kids kind of understood. But yeah, there are just times that you have to put it down. And I remember I just had to say, all right, guys, we're just going to decompress for a minute. Like, pack up your books, like bring them over here, take a minute, look at your phones. That We just had to let it go and think about something else because it is just hard. I wonder if Holocaust survivors, I don't know any personally. Me either. But I wonder if 
when they do talk, and typically they don't, you know, it's a rare to share. Yeah. Because it's heavy and hard for them too. But I think more than that, it's because it's it's ununderstandable if you're not there. Yeah. And when the people who have written or written poems or chosen ways to try and make that connection are successful, and someone who wasn't there can go, man, that really moved me. Yep. I wonder if that power gives remembrance I would to agree. all those other people. Like if somehow that magnifies, I feel like from what I've read from a lot of Holocaust survivors, that there is a responsibility that's heavy for them Yes. to try and carry this because if they die, those memories die with them. Right. And they take that so seriously. Well, in the live Isol, he says that. Like to forget is a crime. To forget is akin to having it happen a second time. Right. Like, he says that. And, I mean, he takes his role so seriously, and he does it with such poise and such respect. And I, you know, not saying that they all don't, but he is definitely taken on. In his acceptance speech, he talks about, like, I come from a traumatized generation, you know, and if we stay silent, it only helps the oppressor. We have to take sides. We have to choose. We have to be able to do that. And I... You know, he's able to, one, get it out through literature. He's able to speak about it. He's able to write speeches about it. He's able to do things on behalf of what he went through, which he's successful. And I know that it's difficult for them to talk about it, and I think that that is one of the amazing reasons to have literature. So much literature about the Holocaust is that although those Holocaust survivors aren't coming and speaking directly like we are, they're able to write it down, and we are able to use those and pass it on in a way to remember and honor them and for us to try and find a way to connect. And the more and more that we read it and the more and more that we see and find, the more connections and the more understanding and the more remembrance that we can have. And we can find ways to honor them. And, I mean, we can honor them by just remembering, for one, but also honor them by not following through with, you know, certain things of prejudice. Like Mouse, for example, by Art Spiegelman is a... I think that is one, a tremendous way for Art Spiegelman to honor his father and his parents, like his father and his mother, in the plight that they went through, and in such a unique way. And the thing I found, I did not find, Mouse was written right after I graduated high school. Okay. So I just missed it as a kid. I found it years later because every time I go to a bookstore, I go to the World War II aisle Mm -hmm. and I look for what's new. Yeah. And I saw that and I'm like, what's this doing here? You know, where's the the manga or mag, whatever that is, the manga section? Yeah. Where's that at? Yeah, the manga section, the anime. Yeah. And I, you know, pick it up and I see it's, well, it's about the war. So that instantly got my interest and I devoured this thing. Oh, I read it, both books, you know, just in a night. Oh, yeah. And the thing that strikes me most about Mouse is that uh, Spiegelman's level of self-reflection yes. and dealing with his father and the Holocaust and how that's affected his family, mm-hmm. I think is incredibly similar to his father's level of self-reflection and all uh. things. I think he found a way... Even though in the book, it's like he's hitting his head against a wall trying to connect with his dad. Yeah. I think being so very self-reflective, he nailed it. Right. I think that's a connection 
that those two men absolutely have. Exactly, and I think I think one of the goals that Art Spiegelman had was, yeah, one, to connect with his dad. I don't think that he realized that he was going to be producing something that was going to be so influential to remembering and honoring the Holocaust. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe he did. I don't know. I haven't really heard, but he makes that connection, which is beautiful as a father-son sort of a thing, but he also makes that connection in understanding the Holocaust in that situation better as well and, like, how why his dad chose to do the things that he chose because, obviously, getting out, like, surviving Auschwitz, right, and getting out of there, what do you expect the rest of your life to be? Like, you're right. probably... What do you do next from there? Right, what do you do next? <clears throat> like, you know, how do you live a normal, functional life after that without having things where you're, like, where you have to read into certain things like I you know I people can look at me and say certain things and you know make fun of me and how I am and whatnot and I can I can let it go right I can be like okay yeah you think that I'm just a nerd that reads books oh, okay call me four eyes because I'm wearing glasses okay congratulations whatever move on but how can it uh Vladek was his, his right. dad's name Vladek was his dad's name. yeah how can Vladek move forward with life without being constantly vigilant and saying like what did you just call me? Why did you just call me that? You know, and like looking into it deeper. And as a kid for Art Spiegelman, I can guarantee he probably didn't understand why his dad was that way and had a hard time connecting with him on that level because he doesn't understand the thing, why, why his dad's doing the things that he's doing. I think about my grandparents, okay? Right. They're children of the Depression. Oh, yeah. Okay, so okay. They, they're like, we have a family get together and grandma's getting the plastic forks to wash them and use them next time. The plastic disposable forks are getting washed. Uh She's not alone. That generation, they're not throwing things away because they know what it's like to be without. Right. And, you know, that's different by far than the Holocaust. But there is, again, that sense of shared, of communal, of similarity, of of understanding. And for me as a grandkid, you know, when I'm eight, I just think grandma's a little bit loopy. Because why is she washing plastic forks? Why are you keeping a plastic fork? As I get older, and you know, maybe it helps that I'm into history, <laughs> and I start to learn about the Depression, I go, oh, all this makes so much sense. Right. And I mean, I think that those that went through the Depression, like your grandparents, right? And I, I don't know that my grandparents did, but they don't talk to me about that stuff. Anyway, <laughs> that's usually other things. But I, I think they could connect with Holocaust survivors, too, in that way, because a lot of Holocaust survivors got one bowl for their food yeah. and water, and they, they would call it their everything bowl. Because that was everything. And if you that lost the bowl, you didn't get fed. Yeah, you lost everything. You lost what you had. You had to have that. So I think that in ways you can make those connections and like so some of these things can help make those connections with those. But also, I totally get it. I you know, I sit here and think, why would we, you know, why would we keep the plastic fork? I mean, I keep my plastic forks and spoons because I'm also a person that I'm like, I lose everything. So, you know, I but I don't know what it's like to be without. Right. Either. I just I know stories of people who, and honestly, I want to say that it stems from learning the Holocaust and hearing things about how people didn't have things, and I become more grateful for just the little things that I do have, and, you know, I just appreciate dumb, silly little things that kids give me, because I, I, I don't know what it's like to be without, but I also don't want to know right. what it's like <laughs> to be without, so I just want to yeah. keep those things. I'll so take your I, word for it, how bad it was, because I don't want to go. Right, and so I think that sometimes being able to keep those things can help honor people as well. But. Well, is there anything else on the uh, literature side that you deal with and what you do with the Holocaust? 
Mm, no, I don't think so. I mean, we we look at, you know, Anne Frank, Eli Weissel, and Mouse, very, you know, those three pieces because they're very prominent, and we just try to understand, you know, how do these pieces that we're reading and that we're, you know, listening to and trying to, you know, connect with and trying to analyze and understand how do those help us remember and honor the victims of the Holocaust? How does literature help us remember and honor the victims of the Holocaust? And I think we've touched on that in that those victims aren't able to talk to us about some of their experiences. And sometimes it's too difficult for them to relive that. Right. And so having that piece of literature can be super effective. Like Eli Weissel's Night Memoir. I mean, I can't imagine him... I can't imagine him telling that story over and over and over and over again in person. I just can't. He talks about people getting hung. And there's one part where I had to stop about a little boy that wasn't heavy enough. Like he didn't have enough body weight to actually hang himself to snap his neck. So he had to sit there. Yeah. He had to sit there and wait to be suffocated. And it's just, it's powerful in that sense. And I think that it's, it's something that we can keep close, that we can try and make connections to. And kids at this age, what I want them to be able to do is to remember and connect these things to things that they understand in their life. But I want them also to take that next step instead of just remembering, like, you know, having the, the attitude, right? Because I think that remembering and honoring is a pyramid too, right? So if remembering is down at the bottom where we keep it to ourselves, right? We have that remembering attitude, but the next level is honoring. How do we honor these Holocaust victims? Like, what what do we choose to do? Yeah, there has to be some level of share. Right, like they need to share within each other. They need to share with their families, their parents. Um, I think that it would be nice to do community things to say, you know what, there's stop bullying campaigns and stuff, right? right? And there's suicide awareness campaigns. And I think that those can be things that we'd say, oh, this can honor... Holocaust victims sometimes in that way because one, we are going to stop the prejudiced attitude. We are going to stop the prejudiced acts and we aren't going to allow the pyramid of hate to get to the point where it was before. And I think one, I'm always super leery of, well, let's find a lesson from the Holocaust because that's bullcrap. There's no lesson. No. People are capable of unbelievable evil. Right. That's the only lesson. Everything else you go looking for would tend to justify that the Holocaust happened. And yeah. I'm not going to get on that train. No. But one thing that strikes me as a way to honor and to remember is that we can learn from these people who are already doing these things through their way of having a voice, right. through their speaking, through their writing, through their poetry, through their art, mm-hmm. through their music. All of these people had these ideas and talents and abilities before. Mm -hmm. It's nothing that the Holocaust magically brought out of them, like Spider-Man being bit by a spider. Right. So they found a way to use their voice, Mm -hmm. whatever that looked like, Mm -hmm. to get out their message, to help them remember, to help them honor. And I think if everyone, because I think that's a lifelong goal, find your voice. Right. And then once you do, okay, now what are you going to do with it? I think that that is definitely a good thing for them to find their voice. And obviously these were all talents that they had. And, you know, even, even some of them might, who knows, some of this, I feel like the Holocaust can bring about some of these talents in that way for people to become that way. But I also feel like a lot of the Holocaust survivors, this is a healing process for them. Too. Yes. They're trying to understand. And 
honestly, I think that the Holocaust survivors, from what I've heard, are some of the most understanding, compassionate, and kind people that you will ever meet or hear from. And obviously, like I said, I've never met any Holocaust survivors. But from just from the literature that I read, you can feel that. And from the interviews that you see, you can you can see that, you can feel that, you can understand that. And I think one way to honor them would to be carry on what what they are really trying to get through to you. Be kind, compassionate, and understanding of other people. And I think kids at this age need to understand that and be understanding of each other. And I know that for me, I'm always just so trusting of everybody. You know, I want to understand someone's situation so that I can, so that I can obviously like understand and connect with them so that I, you know, can build that relationship instead of just automatically assuming the worst. Well, in my favorite uh, documentary about the Holocaust is uh, Auschwitz Inside the Nazi State Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. the BBC put out. And there's two things that strike me in that documentary. One is an old prison guard, an old Nazi, Mm -hmm. who's very, very unrepentant. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, just still doesn't care. Yep. And doesn't have any problem telling you that. Said, oh, I got a lot of good things from yeah. that. Like, I remember those nice pair yeah. of boots that I got. Exactly. Right. And then you see some of the survivors that have such forgiveness for something that seems completely unforgivable. Right. And I see that dichotomy in the Holocaust that reveals human nature mm-hmm. in ways that are hard to find outside of something so very extreme. Mm-hmm. And, well, I think that it's good for for the kids, for everybody, to learn whatever way they get there, not only so that we don't do it again as a civilization, right? but we can learn a lot about ourselves. And who do we want to be? Because I sure don't want to be that cranky old prison guard. Right, where you've spent years thinking about and hearing about, and you know right? <laughs> that the Holocaust was bad, and that it was not something that was good, and you have not changed at all. Like, you haven't grown you know, metamorphosized into something, you know, better. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, I tell people, yeah, you're entitled to your opinion. You're entitled to that. And he is. But that doesn't always make it right at times. And I think that that is crazy to think. And I know that there are prison guards out there that said, I was brainwashed. Right. I literally believed that this is what we were supposed to do because they tell, they start, they started it at such young ages. Yeah. And well, lie younger than we teach. Right. They started at six, seven, eight years old, you know, working in that, you know, that Nazi field and, and just generating those hate, those ideas. And then even, you know, at 16, 17 years old, when, when kids and teenagers in the adolescence age are just so malleable and so impressionable, they worked on them. And I'm sorry, I, I remember being 17, 16, 17, 18, I have a 15 year old that knows everything and you know whoever for the record i know her i taught her so yeah she knows Jane everything <laughs> right right like you just believe your idols and sometimes they're wrong yeah it's unfortunate i mean it's not always that they're trying to do the bad thing but sometimes they're wrong and they're just impressionable at that age and they believe you know who their idol is at that point in time well i've Spend a lot of time thinking, talking with others about the Holocaust. I think this is the first time I've ever just sat down and thought about it through the lens of literature. Oh. Even though I've used it, you know, many times as I've studied. Yeah. 
and really pulling that together and makes me realize that for all the documentaries I watch and all that I read to get the facts and the figures and the numbers and the what happened when, which all interests me a great deal, the things that matter most to me about the Holocaust, I didn't find there. I found in these books and in these poems and in these stories we've talked about. I found meaning there. Yeah. That's a pretty good lesson to learn. So thank you. You've taught me something today, Ms. Waters, and I appreciate it. Oh, good. I'm doing something right. <laughs> For once, I just, I, and I think that that is what Holocaust literature, I mean, that's the way I understand it. See, I don't look at it logistically and historically, and I struggle with that. And so I, you know, I don't just actively go out to try and find these things sometimes, and I don't think about that. I, 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 I'm under different philosophies, like things will come to me when I need them Right. at times. And, you know, I think the Holocaust unit came to me when I needed it. And when I need to understand it, but as far as I've understand understood about literature, although yes, we have our math books that give us facts, statistics, and things like that, literature is about making a connection. Yes. And I did a lot of poetry in college. That what is the author trying to get through? And I remember questioning my college professor. I'm like, what if he's not just trying to get through anything? What if he just wants to tell something nice? Like, what if what if it's just is? And you know, I had a college professor say, no, that's not how it goes. You know, you may want to think that just because it's hard and because it's difficult. But look deeper and try and find a connection. Maybe it's not the connection the author wanted. Right. It's a connection. They want you to make a connection, and that is what I Literature is a living thing. It is. It's subject to what the author's intent was, but it changes based on how we receive it and the lens we view it through. Literature is alive in a way that historical facts are not. And that's a beautiful thing. Well, and you learn something different every time you read it. And I, you know, I've been through the Holocaust a few times, and I I have felt different things the more I go through it. I understand different things the more I go through it. I connect with different students on different levels in different ways the more I go through it. And honestly, I will say my favorite book of all time, which doesn't connect to the Holocaust, is The Pride and Prejudice, right? I love that book. But every time I read it, I get something new. And I think that that is a beautiful thing about literature in that way is that it helps us connect. It helps us understand. And the more we read it, the more we understand it, you know, helps us adjust and understand and situate in the world around us and understand ourselves. And I think just by the fact that you are reading and going out and finding that literature, you're remembering and honoring those victims of the Holocaust. You are doing your due diligence. You are learning, you're understanding, you're moving forward. You don't want to forget well, I told you I had a little personal story about remembrance. Oh, yes, you do. I want to hear it. And I think it fits right in with all of this. Good. Not about the Holocaust, but about remembrance. Yeah. So I was married to a woman, Laura Jean, for 24 years. Love her. Still do. Yeah. And as she was getting ready to die, she had cancer. We had about a five-year warning that this was going to happen. Yeah. But we knew that was going to end. Yeah. So... I thought a lot about, well, what are we going to do to remember? Now, one thing my wife was, was a voracious reader. She was on Goodreads. She was, her goal was to knock out 100 books a year, every year. Oh, wow. Good she goal. got after it. Good goal. She got after it. And she made it, generally speaking, every year. Oh, good. Chemo helped. She had time sitting there in the chair. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so when she died, one of the things we did is my dad had, uh, she had this chair she always sat in when she read. Mm-hmm. And... When her legs got too sore from the cancer in her bones, mm-hmm. my dad made her a little platform. Aww. And so she'd 
sit up in the chair so she could sit there and she would read. And in every house we've had, which is several now, since she died, there's that platform with Laura's chair, her reading glasses, and a copy of her favorite book, To Kill a Mockingbird. It's a good one. And we decided that once we have grandkids, who will have never met their grandma? Oh, of course, yeah. That we'll have that chair there to spark conversations about her. And in between visits, we're going to flip the pages. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I love that. I think it's just amazing. I mean, that, just having a, signo, like a significant piece. I mean, it, it doesn't replace her in any way, shape, or form, but it is a piece of her that you guys still get to have, and I think it's a beautiful way to remember it. And flip the pages is okay. Flipping the pages. I guess we'll leave it there. We'll see you next time on History on the Dark Side.